How many of you were grateful this morning when you looked outside? If you were up early enough, you got to see the sun come up, or you, at least when you woke up, you realized the sun was going to come up. How many of you are grateful for the sunrise this morning, to see the sun come out this morning? I, I am. Yeah, I see lots of hands. By the way, this is a bit of a loose paraphrase uh, from, on my part, but I think you'll find this. Uh, uh, Peter says these words. If you look up in the letters of Peter, he says that uh, we would do well if we would pay attention to this, to the Word of God, until the sun rises in our hearts, referring to Jesus, until the sun rises in our hearts. So as, as grateful as we were this morning to see the actual sunrise and to come up, uh, he says it is with that kind of uh, feeling in mind that we should read, inspect, and find ourselves in the Word of God because that's what brings the awareness of who Jesus is to us, that he may rise in our hearts and become uh, become the Lord of our lives, not just the Savior, but the Lord of our lives. We're continuing in the Foundations uh, series. I think, Lord willing, we'll be wrapping this up just before Easter time. We began with a study of uh, the statement of theology. We're now in the middle of going through our statement of faith and practice that we have here in, this, in our church. So we are uh, working through some things that we say we believe and that we say is sort of the outcome of that. Now, as, I, as you kind of know as we go through, this second part is a lot more practical, perhaps, uh, has a lot more uh, implications for how we live our lives than, than the first part was. And at the same time, I still will say, I think you'll know this, so you'll, 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 you'll see this. Even then, in our statement of faith and practice, it's not like we, we have a, a list of things like, this is exactly what it means in your life. There's still a lot of room. There's a lot of room for you to cultivate and to... Uh, uh, say that I must have this living relationship with the Holy Spirit of God to help apply the principles of Scripture into my daily life. Uh, because uh, we'll be pretty unashamed about saying, uh, we do, uh, if you ask us, if you ask anybody of us on our leadership team for sure, uh, we'll, we'll tell you many times how we think this looks like fleshed out. We'll give you our, our, our interpretation of Scripture and say, we think it means this and this and this. But I think we're also, uh, I can say this for all of us, we're, we're pretty uh, wide open about the fact that we will stand for sure on the things that are said here in Scripture, which many times are principles and not the specific actual application. All that to say, you and I still have work to do. I'll do my best to break apart what the Word says and teach you and tell you what I think it means, but you still may not rely on that. You must know the word and know the writer of the word, which is God, the Holy Spirit, and ask him, what does this look like in my life? What would you have me do? This is actually part two today of uh, what I started last week on personal discipleship. We began with this thought, and I'm just going to throw it up there again so we can connect back. We began with this thought that we believe that a life that is under the lordship of Jesus Christ should have outward evidence. Like, it should mean something, right? When you and I say we're followers of Jesus, when we say Jesus saved me, and we say that Jesus is in fact in charge of me, that it should be evident to those around us. It, sh it should be possible to see that or to know that. Now we know, when I say that kind of thing, I hope you don't understand, we know that your salvation, we believe that our salvation is based on our heart condition, not on the outside. So let's make sure we understand that. Having said that, we are firm believers, I hope you are too, that our heart condition should be reflected on the outside. You see, we get in trouble when we only focus on the outside and forget about the heart. But we also get in trouble when we think it's only about the heart and nothing should come out. In fact, I think those are the things that Jesus talked, I, I, took this, I took us to this passage last week, that Jesus says, when you're not producing fruit, when you're not abiding in the vine, and you're not producing fruit, those branches are withering, and they are cut off, and they are thrown in the fire. Now, I'm going to say this right up front here, and I say it somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I have a privilege that you all, in fact, this morning was the morning that this happened, but you all support me that I can, for, I can give my full-time uh, uh, job, so to speak, my full-time hours to studying the Word of God, excuse me, to studying the Word of God and to teaching you on Sunday mornings. Now, I do a lot of other things too, but uh, that's primarily what I do, and I love doing that. It's actually really what I love more than anything else. 
And so I say this morning, uh, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I, I finished up my message and we're here this morning, and, and I, I kind of chuckled to myself and said, I don't think you guys are going to get your money's worth this morning. Meaning, if you're looking for me to, uh, to, to, to do a lot of Bible study during the week and, and get that all you know, in nice chunks for you to understand, which hopefully I do that many times, and to teach you things that you don't already know or to bring these brilliant insights to you, uh, I think this morning you, you, you might be left a little disappointed. I got done with my message, and I won't apologize for this, but I got done with my message, and I realized that I am reading a lot of Scripture because a lot of the text, this, or a lot of the, the, the point of this morning is to say, hey, God actually gives us some pretty good texts on what a, pers- a life looks like that is, uh, that is dis- a disciple of Jesus, on what a life looks like, the outward evidence of what a life looks like under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So a lot of what I will be doing today is simply reading the Bible to you. I hope you're okay with that, by the way. I, I, I hope that's okay with you. Um, I'm not going to apologize for that. I do think, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to make people feel bad, or maybe, I, I do think there's times when we feel like, you know, we come to church and, you know, if the guy just is up there and reading out of the Bible, like, that's kind of boring, or the, like, I could do that at home, or I could, like, whatever, and you might say that's true, you know, you might say, I'm, I'm looking to come to a guy who's, you know, really full of charisma and is going to capture my ears and really draw me in with the great stories he tells. I'm not that guy normally anyway. But this morning, I especially won't be. So last week, we ended the message. We, we, we kind of focused on some, some like, like higher level kind of things about what a life that is led by Jesus looks like. And we ended by talking about these things called disciplines. It's a word we don't like, but it's a word that we must wrestle with regardless because the word discipline means trainings. And we ended with talking about how there's disciplines that are part of our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And they're not always easy. And we ended in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. By the way, I hope you have a Bible with you because I'm going to be reading a lot as I told you. I hope you follow along. So open right away to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we're going to start. We ended with these verses that talk about that discipline isn't fun. Like, we don't like being disciplined. It's not, it's not that we enjoy having to train ourselves. Whether you think discipline is a negative thing, which I suggest to you, you shouldn't. There's lots of positive things about training. But it's training nonetheless. It's still work nonetheless. If you're an athlete, I always go to this example because it's, to me it's the most readily available one. But if you're an athlete, there's sacrifices you make, but they're worth it, right? Like, there's joy in that too. There's, there's, there's good things in that, but it, nevertheless, you have to pay something for it. It costs something. So training, we don't all like discipline. We don't, we don't like training necessarily, but it says, I, I read these verses, it says, but you know, it's, not, it's painful at the time, but it yields this peaceful fruit of righteousness. And therefore, and this is my closing exhortation, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. I'm reading verses 12 and 13 of uh, chapter 12. I was exhorting you, strive for peace with everyone. That, that ex- exhortation is coming. I want to jump down a few verses to start off today because I want to give us a little of a glimpse of the why behind some of this. Now, we're actually going to address the why a couple of different ways or tough, a couple of different times this morning. But here's the first one. Pay careful attention. This is why our lives, what's happening inside of us, should, should come outward, should be... Should be that, that, that we should willingly submit to discipline and training ourselves and, and some things that seem painful at the time for the reward at the end. Look at verse 18. He's going to go way back in the Old Testament. He's going to bring about this example that happened like centuries ago before that. But he's going to talk about this time when God came on the mountain and Moses came to talk to him and there were some specific instructions. Let me just read this. Verse 18, Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now he takes them back to something we don't understand as much as the Jewish people would have done because they've heard these stories over and over again. But he takes them back to this point where they were at at the mountain and God said, in my holiness I'm coming down and nobody can even touch the mountain that I am going to be at the top of. If you do, you will die. And if, you, and, and if an, even an animal touches it, you should stone that animal. And there was trembling, and there was thunder, and there was this powerful scene. In fact, there was this scene. I'm wondering, can somebody get me a glass of water? 
Normally there's one up here. I think Les is not here today, which is normally where it comes from. So thank you, Les, for usually getting a glass of water. Elwood's grabbing me one, so thank you. But it was so terrifying that the people of Israel said, we don't want God to talk to us anymore. That's the scene he's painting. And he's saying, you haven't come to that. You haven't come to that. But you have come, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's what we have come to. See to it. Sorry, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. Thank you, Owen. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And here we come to the verse at the end that we're going to summarize this up with. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's hard to put this stuff in context or to frame it so our minds can truly bend or wrap around it. But the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand something. As terrifying as it was to be at the foot of that mountain, as, as horrible, as much as it was full of noise and, and, and trembling and there's, 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 the, the, the earth is shaking and there's all these, and, and you couldn't even touch it, that, that mountain. He says, listen, what you are coming to is even far beyond that. For even that mountain will be shaken. For God says, yet once more I will shake not just the earth, I will shake heaven, I will shake everything so that the only thing that is left is what cannot be shaken. And that's the kingdom of God. That is what you have come to. That's what you have the invitation to join. That's what you, with your allegiance to Jesus Christ, are entering into. Remember, we, I, did a whole, I did a whole sermon on the kingdom. If that is true, if you indeed have been given the invitation to come to the only thing in our entire universe that cannot be shaken, that cannot be broken, that cannot be destroyed, if that is true, Look at where he ends. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for we know that God is a consuming fire. This is the basis, the justification, the reason why we talk today, this morning, about the fact that our lives should look different when we have Christ in us. That something has to, when something happens in here, it has to come out this way too. It has to. For how else will we demonstrate that we really believe that we are being, we're receiving a kingdom that is unlike anything else in the entire universe that we know? And there's much about the universe we don't know. But all of it's going to be shaken. All of it's going to be destroyed. Which is why last week I'm going to, kind of looping back, and maybe this is kind of a long-winded introduction, which is why last week we began with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read them again for you this morning. Last week we focused on verse 2. This week we'll focus on verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Last week, I read those verses to introduce us to this topic and to say that if you have made Jesus your Savior, you've also made him your Lord, which means your life is, is geared or is, is driven by this 
desire to know God's will and to do it. This week, as we've tracked through what we did last week, we kind of doubled back and said, if we are receiving this kingdom that can't be shaken, then let us offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to him. Let's present ourselves to God as a sacrifice that, I'm not sure how to say this. I was going to say that that's living, that's not dying, although there is death involved. There's death to yourself, death to your flesh. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't grow up and, have, and bring forth fruit. There's death involved. But actually what that looks like is a life that's lived for him, that's given to him for his, for his direction. By faith, right? We sang that song, by faith, the church will be sent will go. That's everything to do with this. Well, what does that look like? What does it say? What does it look like? What does it mean to say, hey, give yourself as a living sacrifice? I'm really glad you asked this morning because I'd like to read it for you out of God's word. In fact, we're going to stay in in Romans chapter 12 to start with. I hope again you're following along. We're going to start reading some of the several places that scripture gives us on what a life looks like that's under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this before I jump in. If you get tired, you, I, I know you don't think about it this way, so I, this, these are my words, not yours, but if you get bored by just having me read scripture, I would invite you, if you're having, struggling by, you know, to track along or pay attention, I would invite you, it's fine if you just stand up where you're at, that, I think that will help you pay good attention, but please follow along. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I have a heading in my Bible. This is not actually the Bible, biblical text, but I have a heading in my Bible that says these are the marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which means proud. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, on the opposite side, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Brothers and sisters, I could spend just about uh, an entire message in many of these short phrases. My trust this morning is as I read these sections from the Word of God, that God's Holy Spirit is doing his work that only he can do anyway, which is to impact our hearts, which is why I beg of you this morning to pay attention to God's word, to pay attention to what he's saying to you, us. This isn't going to come in flashy words or in brilliant insights. This is going to come by saying, God, your word must have impact on my life, and I want to know what that is this morning. Now, we read the first part of chapter 13 from Romans a couple of weeks ago when I did a, ser- a sermon on Uh, the state and our interaction with the state. So I'm going to jump past those. I'm going to go to verse 8 and keep on reading. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
Listen, are you paying attention? Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling, is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What we are after is if we believe we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and God's word tells us that when we have trusted in Christ that we receive his Holy Spirit, which is the down payment of that kingdom. Remember, we talked a whole lot about that now, not yet kind of stuff during the, theology, the statement of theology. Here's an example. What we received as a down payment, it means we must put first priority in saying, where the Holy Spirit dwells should be a pure dwelling place for God. The container, the physical container where God's Holy Spirit resides must be prepared for Him, must be kept pure for Him, must be kept in a state that is unlike what it used to be when it was not ready for Him. There is simply, according to Scripture, no other outcome we can come out to. The Lord says, be holy even as I am holy. And here we have these lists. And here we have these things. And we're not done yet. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision. Friends, can I ask you? Can I ask you to look deep inside your hearts and your lives, your own hearts and lives, no one else's, and sincerely, honestly answer whether you are making provision in your life for your own flesh. I know that's been a particular struggle of mine. I, I doubt I'm the only one. To say, yes, I want Jesus. Yes, I want to do what God wants. Yes, I'm given and maybe even give myself much, much of myself. But to say to make no provision means I can't reserve one little slice and say, but I want just a little bit of my flesh still. This morning in our Sunday school class, it was pointed out, I think accurately pointed out, that you are either in Adam or in Christ. There's no in between. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to satisfy or to gratify its desires, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of putting on, Paul has this incredible section of, uh, of just directly application verses in the book of Colossians. I've told you before, probably Colossians is one of my favorite books. Let me just read these to you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ, <laughs> if that's true, if you're claiming you have been raised with Christ, if you died to yourself, died with Jesus, been raised with Christ, if that's true, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And here's another good place for us to ask that question. Those are great sounding verses. If we've died with Christ, if we've risen with him, then let's put our thoughts on things above and our heart on things above. Let's see ourselves, our lives hidden with Christ so that when he comes, we will appear with him. But the question, of course, comes up, what does that mean our life looks like then? What should it look like? What's the outcome of this? What, what, what's the skin and bones for those kind of words? I tell you, they're in the very next verses. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, and he lists some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. There's your put-offs. How about the put-ons? Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with each other. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. I'm wondering how many of you feel like this morning you have plenty of things to work on this week. Friends, this is not meant to be a burden or bondage, but it's meant to be a realization that the real burden and bondage comes when we want to put a, a foot in both worlds. We want to keep a bit of the flesh and a a bit of what God wants. Or to be honest, the real bondage comes in the things from our flesh, the earthly things. It is because of these things, Paul just wrote, it's because of those things that the wrath of God is coming. That the reason that everything has to be shaken, except for which cannot be shaken. We're not done yet. If you haven't found something yet you can work on, let me keep reading. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 Again, follow along, please. Now this I say, Paul writes, and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I've talked about this before. I don't want to take a lot of time to do this, but I must remind you again, there is a direct connection between our hearts and our minds. He just said it. Their minds, their understanding is darkened. They don't understand God. They think the ways of God are foolishness. They think that that's, that's, that's how it used, that, 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 that the ways of the world are the right things. They think of all those things. They're alienated from God, but it's because they're ignorant, and their ignorance comes because of their hardness of heart, because they've, turned, they've said, I, I don't want what God wants. I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. But he says, this is what you pay attention to, he says, you used to be like that. You used to walk like that. You used to think that way, but you do so no longer. Walk in a manner that is worthy of Jesus. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." What a long sentence. What an incredibly powerful sentence. What a direct statement that something should change when Jesus Christ comes in. Therefore, verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let, rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, I, I, again, I, just, I, I don't want to interrupt and make a lot of commentary because the word of God makes it is good enough in these cases to stand on its own. But let me, just, let me just point out that verse 29, I think, is, is, is a particularly one we struggle with. Again, maybe, maybe, it's more, maybe I'm more maybe it's something I struggle with. Maybe I'm more sensitive to it. But uh, in our family, 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I hear a lot of conversations from a lot of angry people who are Christians, who say they're Christians, about things they're angry about. Whether it's politics or the world or liberals or conservatives or people that like Trump or people that hate Trump or people that do this or people that go to church and believe this way or people that believe this about this or people that do it this way or the, maybe just the way that person wears his hair. And I'm not, being, I'm not trying to be trivial. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't have strongly held convictions. I'm trying to get us to see that what has become clear in the text so far more than anything is that we struggle mightily. Our old self creeps in so easily over our new self in how we interact with each other. And this one specifically referring to the words that come out of our mouths. Is there an emphasis on my part and on your part, your parts, that what comes out of our mouths gives grace to those who are hearing? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, listen to this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them." For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's maybe sometimes half the battle. Can we make an honest effort? Are we making an honest effort at trying to find out what pleases God and saying, that's what I want to do because it pleases you, God? I've said it like, seems like probably once every time the last couple messages. Or are we so stuck in the mode of seeing how much we can get away with and still be okay with God? Try. Please try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I suppose you're well aware that I've read through several pretty lengthy passages. I'm sure you're aware of that. But as we read through several lengthy passages, you're well aware that there's a lot of overlapping things that kind of, they're like saying the same kind of things. I think that might mean God wants to tell us something about those things, right? When they're mentioned more than once, when you hear repeated uh, uh, phrases of how we are to address each other, how we are not to address each other, what should be part of our life, what should not be part of our life, what we should put on, what we should put off. All of those things. But again, I come back to this. This line jumped out at me when I was reading. And yes, it's at the end of the text. So for something to jump out to me, at me, is, is huge. But look at what it says. Don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, you can know this. You can know what God wants from you. I would again suggest to you today. I think I said this last week. But I would suggest to you again today. I actually read to you three fairly lengthy passages today of what God's will is for you in your life. Like directly applicable, what God's will is for you in your life. I don't want to be harsh. I'm in the same camp that you are. 
I say this all the time. I'm up here talking, but I'm, I'm in those seats with you. But I'm afraid we spend way too much time, maybe I shouldn't use the word arguing, but bickering, having discussions, justifying, making exceptions for ways that we think, well, what about this? Well, what about this? What Instead of spending as much time as we possibly can in understanding the plain reading of the word of God and saying, does this find root in my life? Is my life look like what these words talk about? Or does my life not look like that? Real quickly, I'd like today just to summarize, this is going to come uh, virtually, basically straight out of our statement of faith and practice in case you're tracking along with that. I don't know if you, anybody is or not, but uh, we just want to summarize, give a couple principles of summary that we pulled as we put this together, our leadership team, a number of years ago, that we pulled uh, out of these biblical texts I read to you today for principles that guide our life in terms of having personal deception, a life that reflects that God is in charge of me. Let me just uh, bring a couple of those out. We believe that means that we, as practically as possible, we seek harmony in all of our relationships. I actually read that phrase. It's directly out of Romans chapter 12. But it's not just in Romans chapter 12 in that verse I gave you. It's in many verses that I read to you. Seek harmony in your relationships. Did you hear what Paul said? As far as it depends on you. Like, in other, as, as much as you can possibly do. If, it, I mean, if, it, if it's at all possible, according to on your side, be at peace with other people. Now that means, I think, not picking on stuff, but it also means being quick to admit when you're not right, when you're wrong, asking for forgiveness and forgiving them. Kind of to follow that up, we have in there, and I think it's important, I, I, I should have added an extra word in here, but deal with conflict according to Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. I, I want to maybe should add specifically, those verses are dealing with conflict with other believers. Deal with in conflict, if you have conflict with other believers. Now, if you're not familiar with that, Maybe I'll just read it for you today. It won't take that long. I've been reading lots of uh, the Bible, so you should be used to this by now. Matthew chapter 18, a couple of verses here where Jesus is directing what happens when we have conflict among believers, among people that uh, are also Christians, but things are not going so well. If your brother, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Once again, we have majored sometimes on all the exceptions or all the exclusions or all the ways this has been used to the harm, and that is very true, has been used to harm people, these kind of verses. Yet I would push you or desperately ask you this morning, don't throw away what the Bible says because you've seen it misused. Read the text and see what it says. How is it supposed to be? Now, by the way, if you're paying attention, you know, a lot of times you don't actually read those last couple of verses, 18, 19, and 20, but they absolutely fit with this. In fact, if you read the next story, it's a story of the unforgiving servant. I believe those words are actually given to us as a warning at the end of that. He's saying, hey, if, some, if there's a struggle, if you have an issue with something, you go talk to them about it. If that doesn't work, you take a couple of people with you. And if that doesn't work, take it to the church. And if that doesn't work, like, this is where we get the idea of excommunication from, which I understand for many people in this room is, is an ouchy word. I will tell you, I've, I, most of you, I think I can say this comfortably because I have a lot of personal conversations with you uh, about this if you're one of those people, but uh, excommunication is a biblical word. How it's used many times, not so much, but it is. And here's the justification, here's, here's the basis for it. But I would also tell you there's a bit of a warning in here because look what he says. Be very careful because if you will presume as a church or as a group of believers, you will presume to bind something on earth, that's how God sees it. Now think very carefully. If you will choose to not forgive someone and say, God, I'm asking you to hold it against them because of how badly they hurt me. And Jesus says, if a group of you does that, that's what God does. I don't know very many of us that want to sign up for arriving in heaven someday and finding out that someone's sin that they did against us was held against them by God and God punished them because I was not willing to release them. Because I was not willing to forgive them.
How many verses did I read in all this long text? How many verses did I read that said, forgive as Jesus forgives you? Forgive. Let go. Don't, don't, don't persecute those who are persecuting you. Don't be evil towards those who are evil to you. Don't, don't curse those who are cursing you. Bless them. Forgive. Love them. I don't want to make a huge deal about this. It's not really the point of the message at all. Uh, I, I want to I, I be careful. I'm, I'm open to discussion about stuff like this. There's words in here, and I, I, I do teaching on, the, on Matthew chapter 18 many times when I do revival meetings because forgiveness is one of those subjects that just uh, I think we don't have a very good understanding of sometimes. But uh, there's a lot here to say to a group of believers and the amount, uh, the amount of authority, if I can use those words, that is carried. And I think we ought to be very careful. I believe Jesus intends for us to use it as a blessing. What greater witness to who Jesus is can there be when it is fully established before everyone that great sin has happened, and then you say, but I will loose you. I will forgive you. That wasn't the point of my message, so... We believe, though, that we should deal with conflict according to Matthew 18 as much as we possibly can. There, there are some exceptions to things where uh, there's power dynamics involved, but uh, that's not the point of the discussion this morning. We believe that an outcome of the verses that we just read here means that we would avoid the occult and substances that are harmful to the body. Now, I, why there's a group together, we, I grouped them together simply because uh, that's how our statement of faith and practice reads. Uh, they are two separate issues. There's plenty of verses I just read to you about uh, the fact that there's darkness and evil and there's all kinds of things that people who are uh, wanting to live according to their own lives, their own flesh, that they are involved in that are not even, uh, not even I, we, we shouldn't even talk about those things. But it means that's why we avoid the occult. That's why we avoid uh, 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 evil and darkness and things of the enemy and witchcraft and things like that. And we also avoid substances that are harmful to our body. If this is a pure, supposed to be a pure dwelling place, if we understand that that's harming, if we're harming something that God's pure and holy presence wants to dwell in, then we avoid those things. We say, that's not for me. I used to have those cravings, those passions, those lusts. I used to do that when I was in darkness. But now I want to live as a child of light. We believe that means we engage in entertainment and recreation that glorifies God. Notice that that doesn't say we don't, don't have any entertainment or we don't have any recreation at all. It means we understand that if we are to be pure dwelling places, if this is to be a pure dwelling place for God, that what I do with my, with my brain, what I do with my hands, my body, my feet, what I do when I do those kind of things, they should reflect the glory of God. They should, they should reflect the fact that I believe God's holy presence is living inside of me. You might have heard this phrase before, and I don't always like phrases like this, but you might have heard a phrase like this, like, uh, you know, whatever you're doing, would you be okay if Jesus was right there beside you? And to me, it's, it's a non-secular because if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is there. It's not a, it's not a hypothetical question if Jesus would be beside you. It's, the Holy Spirit is there. Are you okay with that? Are the things you do for entertainment or for recreation, uh, are, can, can, you, can you reconcile the fact that God's Holy Spirit is there? Or are you driving him away when you're doing those things? One final thing is this kind of a summary. I've taken more time than I was going to. But we also believe as uh, God's pure dwelling places, we may spend more time with this a little bit down the road here, but uh, we believe that we should dress the outward appearance of us. Uh, we dress with modesty, with simplicity, and the distinction of sexes. We simply say those things to realize, to say that we realize that who we are, our worth, why people want to have anything to pay attention to us or anything to pay attention to anything we say or to do, or it doesn't come from the way we look, the way we're dressed, the attention we're getting doesn't come from anything that of, of what we're doing on the outside, but that we have pure inside, and that's what's coming out. Again, this is probably the one where, uh, historically, for our culture of people, this is this has become uh, become such a struggle so many times. And and we don't. Uh, you'll see this, and maybe you like this, maybe you don't like this. I, I I'm probably some of you are on both sides of that. Whether we actually give a more defined list than that, but this is what we say. I would tell you, I can say this, I'm the guy up here talking, so I would tell you that the Bible doesn't give you a lot more specifics than that. It just gives you that. 
this is a whole other subject, so I, I have a whole other message, so I, I don't want to take it time to do this morning. I'd love to have conversations. If you want to have coffee, if you want to come over to our house, uh, talk with us as a family, we'd love that. I mean, call before you come, but <laughs> we might not be home. That's why I tell you that. But here's some principles that I gave you that I think summarize a lot of what we read this, uh, this morning. Let me close this morning by returning back to Jesus and his words. I want to give you one more why. Why we are to be a pure dwelling place for God. Why we are to uh, have personal discipleship. Why our, our lives outwardly should reflect what's happening inside of us. And I want to do it from Jesus' own words. We did this, uh, we be- began last week with uh, some words from John. We're going to end with some words from John. John chapter 17, it's the very end of Jesus' uh, words with his disciples before he goes onto the cross. He's praying for them. And he prays uh, what we call, the, in scripture today, we call the high priestly prayer for them. I'm going to jump in kind of in the middle there. In verse 20, Jesus says these words. I do not ask for these only, meaning the ones that are right in front of him. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, which comes down through the ages to us, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them in your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. A lot of me in them, I in them, a lot of language, but let me distill it down for the, what I wanna, the point I want to make this morning as we close. I gave you a reason why at the beginning, why you are to have an outward expression of what is happening inside of you, why there should be a pure dwelling place. Your body should be a pure dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. And that comes to if you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the only thing that's universe that can't be shaken. If you're receiving that, it should have some kind of outward expression. It should have some kind of result. You should offer yourself as a sacrifice to God. You should worship him with reverence and awe because he's a, he's a consuming fire. Now in these verses, I close with a second reason why. Because Jesus makes it clear that when we as individuals and more importantly, when we as a body are in Christ and Christ is in us and we're unified and all the lists that I just read to you, all the stuff about how we are to get along with each other, how we are to love each other, how we're, all the stuff that's supposed to happen that's coming out of us, it's, it's all of us living together. When that happens, he says, when we become perfectly one, the world may know that God that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you think God loves Jesus? Kind of a weird question to ask, right? Because you're like, whole Trinity thing. Do you think God loves Jesus? I know, I've been talking to you all morning and I haven't let you respond at all, but you can wake up. Do you think God loves Jesus? Do you know that God loves every single person on the world, on the planet, every sinner, everybody, as he loves Jesus? And I got to tell you, this seems like the most risky plan of all. But Jesus seems to be saying here that by us becoming pure dwelling places, by us living out outwardly, that there's signs outside of us that he is Lord of our life, by us doing that and us doing it together in context, that that is in fact the mechanism by which other people in the world know that God loves them just like he loved Jesus and he sent Jesus for that purpose. In other words, so that the world may get to know Jesus, we ought to be pure dwelling places. We ought to have lives marked that we are disciples of Christ and there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word this morning. I again rely so heavily on it and your Holy Spirit and his ability to impact our hearts and to speak to us the things that need to be said, to work in our hearts the things that need to be worked, to work out of our lives the things that need to be worked out and to work in the things that need to be worked in. God, I'm so grateful that you are the one who wants to dwell in us through your Holy Spirit. That's amazing. 
That is the hope of glory, Christ in us. And I don't think I'm the only one here this morning. But after hearing these words again from the Bible, I'm left in a place where I, I, have, I, I have to be so direct. God, I don't have a chance at this without you. You have sent Jesus. You've started this process. And, and you have said, I want you to be holy. I want you to imitate me, Merlin. And I say, God, I want to. I offer myself to you. I want to say no to myself. My, no provision for the flesh. But I have to have Jesus. I must put him on. I must have the Holy Spirit. I must be found in Christ or I have no hope. And you remind me again this morning. You remind us again this morning, God, that this is not in the end just so much about me and about us. In fact, it's not really about us at all. It is about you what you have done through Jesus, the kingdom that you were bringing that cannot be shaken. That was about you, not about us. And the fact that you want the whole world to know that you sent Jesus and that you love them like you love Jesus, that's about you, not about us. Forgive us for how we have made our lives about us, even our Christian lives, even our saved lives about us and what we get out of it. Oh, I love those benefits, God. I love being right with you. I love the fact that I have a hope for eternity. I love that. But you remind me again this morning, it is not about that. For you are far greater than me, far greater than anything you're doing in me. You are far more glorious. You deserve my worship with awe and reverence. Trembling. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people with unclean lips. Thank you so much for Jesus, for that coal that came and cleansed not just our lips, but our hearts. There can be no other response from us this morning that's fitting, God, than us saying, as Jesus himself said, here I am. You have prepared a body for me. Here I am to do your will. Thank you, Father. love you so much, God, because you first loved us. We want to gladly give ourselves to you. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.